Welcome to the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast. Where we celebrate poetry and the Commonwealth with people from across the Commonwealth. I'm Jazz Brandreth. And I'm Afra Brandreth. We're a father and daughter based in London in the UK. But each week, online or in person, we're visiting a different Commonwealth country. And when we get there, we're going to talk about poetry with someone from that country who cares about poetry, knows about poetry, often writes their own poetry. And they're going to share with us two or three of their favourite poems. Where are we after this week, Afra? St Kitts and Nevis. We'll be going to the High Commission in London to meet the High Commissioner. What can you tell us about St Kitts and Nevis, Dad? In just a minute, I'll give it a go. St Kitts and Nevis is a two-island country in the eastern Caribbean Sea. Both islands were formed by volcanic activity and a mountainous. Capital city, Bastère. Official language is English. Population, around 52,000 people. Joined the Commonwealth in 1983, following independence from Britain. The national bird of St Kitts and Nevis is the brown pelican. And who are we going to be meeting? His Excellency Dr Kevin Isaac. He's been the St Kitts and Nevis High Commissioner to the United Kingdom since 2011. And he's also a published poet, with his compilations Whispers of Silence, Memories and Serenade, and Breakfast with My Fathers. I'm very much looking forward to meeting Dr Isaac, because I know that he thinks of his poetry as verbal photography, capturing images through poetry. Intriguing. So we're here today with the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast and we've come to the High Commission of St Kitts and Nevis and we're joined by the High Commissioner, Dr Kevin Isaacs. Kevin, how did you come to be here in, in the UK? You've been here, I think, since 2011? Yes, uh, and I try not to talk about that too much because somebody might hear and they decide, hey, it's time to call him home. Yes, but I've been here since um, 2011 and... Um, <clears throat> It was after having taken a circuitous route because I, I, I worked with the government of St. Kitts and Nevis. I think I started out teaching. I taught French and Spanish and then found my way into the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Then I was a professional student and during that time I found my way to the UK and Washington DC, New York. And then finally they said, um, it's time that we do something useful with you and sent me off to London. So you've been in London a while, but tell us your story. Where did you begin? You began life, I'm calling it St Kitts and Nevis, but I think seeing the brass plate on your front door here, it actually has a more formal name. St Christopher and Nevis. Now why is it called St Christopher and Nevis? Well, it depends on who you listen to, but um, from what I recall, uh, St Kitts and Nevis was discovered in... 1492, discovered, if you want to look, call it that, by Christopher Columbus. And he said that the island, he reminded him of his patron saint and St. Christopher. And so St. Christopher was the name that he, um, he gave. But then different people tell you different stories. But I like that one. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to go with that. Yeah. It's two islands. Two islands. Um, describe, describe people who know nothing about it. What is St. Kitts and Nevis? What are they, these islands? I say to people, if you have not been to St. Kitts and Nevis, your education is incomplete. Um, and if, if I start with Nevis, um, I grew up on St. Kitts. And so um, when I started visiting Nevis, I was, I was an adult. I was working in Washington, D.C. at the Organization of American States. And I remember going back and uh, you get off the boat and as you step on to Nevis, it's like 
a certain, uh, the breeze, the island just embraces you and says, welcome home. And so as you go around Nevis, you feel that sense of belonging, that sense of being a part of something unique. And Nevis does that. In, on St. Kitts, which is a little, which is a, perhaps the noisy of the two islands, um, you also, uh, the, the sense of heritage, the, the, the sense of, uh, for instance, when I, was, when I was growing up, every Thursday, school finished at 3, three instead of 3.30, and I would go and sit on the waterfront, just listening to the birds, the, the seagulls, the brown pelicans, or the, the water rushing to the shore. And to me, St. Kitts and Nevis is that place where you feel almost comforted and that you belong to something special. Mm. And your childhood, who were your parents? Why are you called Isaac? Is that an old name from that part of the world, Isaac? <laughs> that's, that's an interesting question, but I think most people in the Caribbean, because I've, I've been to, to the Middle East and I've, I've, I've been claimed by the Arabs and by the Israelis because my name is Isaac. And, and that's, that's the last name. But I was, I was um, tasked um, a few years ago with bringing back to London um, a register. And that was a register of slaves. And I had to take it, I had to bring it here because it, it, it had to be um, repaired. Uh, and one of the things I found interesting is that you had a list of persons coming from different parts of Africa and they had first names, but their names were attributed to the persons who enslaved them. And so I can only assume that the name Isaac, since I have, I have no Arabic or Jewish ancestry that I'm aware of, might have come from the, that history of enslaved persons being brought to the Caribbean and then given the name of the persons on whose estate you, you, you were forced to work. Your parents, what were, who were they? My, 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 my parents, regrettably, both have passed on. Um, my, my mom was very enterprising. And so we, uh, we grew up on, on a farm. Firstly, because my father, he was the unofficial vet in St. Kitts. <laughs> he, he had no, no training. But I, I recall you know, people coming from all over the island, whenever they had a, a, an animal which had difficulty, um, you know, you know, a cow, a horse, a donkey or whatever, he, they would come and find him and he would go and, you know, rescue them and get that, that sorted. Um, and so we lived on Bayford's farm. And, after, and my mom was, like I said, very enterprising. And so we, we had a grocery store. So I, I, I knew um, what it was like to um, turn my hands into scales. I could weigh a pound of flour and so on. After, after a while, I, I knew what it is like looking at folks um, imbibe the nectars of the gods until they turn a little gaga. <clears throat> and, and so, so, so I had these two enterprising parents. Uh, on the one hand, my father becoming a vet without training for a vet. My mom insisting on uh, um, farming and, and the grocery store but saying all the time, education is key, education is key. And, and she kept, you know, pounding that into my head. And, and I remember even at the tender age of 13, she, you know, squirreling away funds to make sure that I can go off to Guadeloupe um, and spend time with family, learning French and so on. So, you know, they, they in a way, <clears throat> prepared me for life. And I, I always thought that my father was lovingly overprotective 
And my mom was more open-minded and said, you know, the world is your oyster. So in your family, you were the first person to have uh, go to university and have a full education. The second, second to go to university, but the first to for graduate studies and so forth, yes. And when you were a little boy, what sort of schools were available to you and what? We had um, public comprehensive schools. Uh, and when I, when I was born and I was growing up, of course, we were um, still doing the GCSE or, or GCE, GCE yeah. as they were called then and the A-level. It was, it was all very British oriented. Um, I, I actually had a passport which said I was British at birth. And, and was poetry taught to you at school? How was poetry and literature taught? Did, were they following um, uh, a British syllabus? British yeah. syllabus, yeah. Definitely a British syllabus. And I, I, I recall I was a little resistant um, because literature, I, I don't think I came to it naturally, but there, there was this, this I had a teacher, well, two teachers. One was a, a lady called Miss Patricia Hobson. And, um, she, you know, <laughs> I remember um, sending me off to the, to, the, to the principal once because I got seven out of 15 for a test. But, and of course, at that time, it's 50%, that's not so bad, or almost 50%. But then <clears throat> you feel, you know, but you realize when you, when you reflect on it that she was insisting on you doing your best because she thought you could do better. And I think that carried me. And I recall we would have um, assembly. Each class would be responsible for, for doing um, the assemblies because, you, of course, we grew up in a very Christian society. Um, and so some, they, they said, can you write a poem? And I said, can I write a poem? And at, at age 14, and I did. And that was used for the, for the school assembly. So that's how you became a poet. But what were the influences on you as a small boy? What were the poems? Are there poems that you remember still from your childhood? I'm ashamed to say no, I don't. Oh, no, but that's good. It's interesting. Yes, because the, the, the literature was there. But I think the, 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 the formative um, influences, I think, would have come when I was in university after France. Because then I had Dr. Morrison from, um, from Jamaica, from the university. She... I was at the University of the West Indies in Barbados. And so we did a lot of um, West African poetry. Um, they had Leopold Seda Senghor, we did Aimé Césaire, um, Nicolas Guigen of Cuba. And so it was during that, that I think I began to feel that sense of awareness and sensitivity for language. But then, uh, you know, all my friends would talk about Chaucer and uh, all the English poets and you need to read these. But then I started feeling if I begin to delve into other people's poetry too much, it would infect my own voice. And so I then sort of like put on blinders. It sounds awkward and maybe we shouldn't say that, but I sort of deliberately put on the blinders because I did not want to, to begin to hear another poet's um, voice in my ears. I wanted my own voice to speak. And then I began writing and over time I, I developed what I call verbal photography. Uh, the idea being you have to see yourself in a space engaging with people but at the same time being able to step away and take snapshots of what's happening so my influences i think are more life and not any any particular 
You've now published four volumes of your own poetry. Are there other poets from St. Kitts and Nevis, or are you, are you the, the St. Kitts and Nevis laureate, full stop? There are no others. I mean, it's not a, a huge territory. I mean, what's the population, 50, 60,000? Yeah, 54,000. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, well, there, yeah. th- th- there's more of an oral poetry tradition in, in St. Kitts and Nevis. Um, and just um, earlier this year, we had a, a month, of literacy, where we we ask um, individuals to send their works to us, so that we can begin to publicize a lot of the writing that's that's coming out of St. Kitts. There were a few poets, mostly short stories, um, and so the, the the idea is to use this podium um, and and the awareness that's growing to allow other people to um, share their voices. So you're this photographic poet. The snapshot poet. You take a picture and you put it on the page. Indeed. And what are the pictures that, that you'd like to take when you began doing this? What were the pictures you were taking? I, I don't know if I... It was... I, I recall, as you said that, I'm thinking of somebody saying to me that I was Arctic. Because in a sense, I try to separate myself emotionally from what I'm doing. So I'm just holding the camera. And so I might be sitting here with you and you're having a conversation. And something that you say, and I take that snapshot and I start writing. And I do recall one of my old university professors, when I sent her a copy of this book, she sent me a very warm letter, and first letter I was receiving in 20 years. And she said, Kevin, I believe I have failed you. I didn't realize you were struggling with so many demons. Oh, exactly. And I say, huh? Me, demons? Because people assume when you publish, it's autobiographic. It's all about you. And in a sense, I was just eavesdropping and stealing people's stories, reproducing them to the lenses of my... my, my, my she assumed it was a selfie. A selfie. Yeah. And in fact, it wasn't a selfie. No. It was a picture of something else. That volume, you say, this book, was that the first volume? No, it was this one. Um, what's, it, what's it called? No, it's the same. Oh, it's one, the, one, the one that we've got. Breakfast with My Father. Breakfast with My Father's a great title. Breakfast. This, I had Memories in Serenade. But... People always assume that it's your, your life, and I'm, I'm, I'm in a sense, um, um, voyeur, just stealing people's experiences and reproducing well, them. Well, to make it sound maybe more exciting than it's going to be, I don't know, a voyeur stealing people's experiences. This, we haven't had this quite on the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast before. Maybe we have to have a warning. Should we hear one of the poems? The, the one I, I, that jumps out at me is and i miss their laughter well i like the title and i miss their laughter and what volume is this from is this from breakfast at breakfast with my father good okay uh, it's it's the opening poem exactly well i love the title please read it to us and i miss their laughter i lie awake listening to them sleep and i miss their laughter i recall their tantrum ignited feet infectious demand for attention and viral chance to get what they want, extinguished only by this slumber, and I miss their laughter. In the still restful darkness, I reminisce on the daytime, when they race to the kitchen, dragging me behind them, shouting the brand new moniker, Daddy, as though they invented it and owned the copyrights, and I miss their laughter. I think of them scratching the furniture, inscribing their manifestations on the white walls, proclaiming rights to everything in sight, making nerves free and patience thin, and I miss their laughter. I peeked attentively into the aging darkness and felt their love, 
I touched their gentle breath to keep them close and prayed for morning to come sooner, that they wake and remind me again why each night I miss their laughter. That's beautiful. It is a beautiful poem. It's wonderful. And you can picture the scene. You can. You can picture the scene. When you write poetry, does it take you long? When you write something like that, does it... Is the idea become sort of suddenly fully formed and you just put it down on paper? Yes, I I can do this. Um, I did this on my phone within maybe 15 minutes. Then I put the phone over the next morning. I woke up and then I, you know, you massage language here and there, but it usually comes in, you know, one day I could write one poem, next day I could write zero and another day I write 20. For you, what does poetry do that prose can't? Why, why is poetry important and special? The crispness of language allows you to say so much in so few words. Prose, I feel like um, it's like just it goes on and on. The poetry is synthesis. I'm thinking the crispness, you, you, you pour all of you into that short um, picture. Do the people who live in St. Kitts and Nevis feel they're part of the Commonwealth? Does it mean anything to them? Yes and no. Regrettably, uh, most people, when you talk of the Commonwealth, they think of scholarships. And, and this has, and this is what the Commonwealth used to provide access to scholarships in the past, but with, with its um, dwindling resources now, very little is, is offered. So people thought of the Commonwealth as this space for research, for scholarship, for really coming and together with people of like minds. But I think in, in recent years, we've, we've moved away from that because you've had to prioritize the priorities of the Commonwealth. You have a um, reducing um, um, financial commitment to the organizations, interests um, diverge, and uh, but people I would like to see the Commonwealth representing something that people feel, I'm a part of this, it belongs to me, it's my identity, it gives me um, a sense of um, purpose, belonging and identity. But What would you say if you were trying to tell people what's special about the Commonwealth, what the essence of it is? I, I, I'd say it's having the ability to meet with people across cultures from different parts of the world and to work towards global or commonwealth commons. Because just imagine, uh, St. Kitts and Nevis, 54,000 people. We have a voice in the commonwealth. The chair of the board is from St. Kitts and Nevis, a country of 54,000 people. We have a space where we can sit and exchange ideas as equals. The Commonwealth provides that, that um, opportunity. And I think it's something that we should value, we should cherish and work towards um, protecting. One of the great things we have in the Commonwealth, of course, is the English language as being one of the, the common threads is that people do speak English. And maybe poetry like this, exchanging poetry and words, can be a way of spread, spreading the word. A second poem, please, Kevin. What are you going to give us? This one, um, I think I should, it's, if I can find it, it's called Vessel. Um, and I think in a way it um, reminded me of my days growing up in St. Kitts. Um, my, my mother was also very religious 
and we had to go to um, church um, at least five five times a week, I think, in my mind. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so, well, church. So on sun on on a Sunday you have uh, you have um, the early Sunday service. Then at three o'clock we had to go to Sunday school where you taught about the Bible, and then you had Sunday evening service. Then on Tuesday you had Bible studies, and then on Thursday there was something else. And so. Um, don't tell anybody, but I started hiding under the bed. And my mom said I was a heathen because, I, you know, after a while you're going and all you're hearing is somebody preaching you about hell and damnation and fire and so on. You, 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 you begin to feel that even if you sneeze, you'll go to hell. And so I, I started hiding. But then this, in a way, I, 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 I was in work and I was speaking to a friend who, was, who, who started telling me about... Uh, difficult time that she was having and then she said life was worthless and she was thinking that you know maybe she should end it all and uh, after 45 minutes of talking to her, I sat at my desk and I started writing this poem and I called it vessel or a vessel it says Lord please make me a vessel for the world lift me up in moments darkened by despair when galloping anxieties plow the unsettled oceans of my mind like reckless warriors Transform me into a compass and point me to dry land. Dear Lord, steady my vessel with courage to endure torrential waves of doubt. Keep me resolute in days grayed with pain and on course like a beacon shining warmth for the world. Lord, please steal me, make me into that unflinching shoulder of support and comfort for those in need. Blind my mind, dear Lord, to bitterness, but open to the magnificence of the heart. Help me, amidst the frailties and imperfections of this life, to love permanently without judgment, with compassion to all. Strengthen me to resist my common vanity, to walk in my brother's shoes and understand my sister's voice. Let me always see them in me, as me, and never abandon them, for their failures and successes are my own. I am their keeper. Dear Lord, I ask you to make me a vessel built from the metal of my children's heart and the innocence of their eyes. Teach me to forgive, to embrace kindness and truth. Fortify my heart, dear Lord, to be that vessel in your image and your message to be a candle for the world. Powerful stuff. Well, thank you very much indeed, Doctor, His Excellency, Dr. Kevin Isaac, but we're allowed to call you Kevin. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kevin. Completely fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this podcast. Our thanks to His Excellency, Dr. Kevin Isaac, who chose to read And I Missed the Laughter by Kevin Isaac, The Vessel by Kevin Isaac, both taken from his book Breakfast with My Father's which is dedicated to his father and his father-in-law. Join us next time when we'll be in another Commonwealth country with more poetry from the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth Poetry Podcast is presented by Giles Brandreth and Afra Brandreth and produced by the University of Chester. Our special thanks to them and to the Royal Commonwealth Society. And to you for listening. Many thanks.